The first scripture reading today is taken from the book of Psalms, chapter 62, which can be found on page 568 of your Red Pew Bibles. That's Psalms, chapter 62, page 568 of your Red Pew Bibles. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, O God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. The second scripture reading today is taken from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 18, which can be found on page 351 of your Red Pew Bibles. 1 Kings 19, verses 9 to 18. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael 
and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those knees, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because it is life-giving. And we ask, Father, that now you would speak to us. We've heard your word. Impress it on our hearts, God. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Quick note for what you're going to need today. If you have some sight impairment, a little bit later on, we're going to see from the screens for a portion of the sermon. We've printed out some copies of what will be on the screen. So if you need one of those, talk to one of the ushers or just raise your hand and they can get it to you if you haven't received it already. But let's dive in. We live in a really loud and noisy world, so much so that I was reading about a scientist uh, who considers himself a sound tracker, and he is in search of quiet places, quiet places that are no longer interrupted by the noises of overhead planes or leaf blowers or traffic, the horns of traffic or streetcars passing by or construction jackhammers or sirens, and there are very, very few quiet places left on earth, uninterrupted by human sound any longer. But probably even more than all the clamor and noise of of urban living is what someone called the great electronic din of our age. All the emails and tech the podcasts, the pings, the beeps, the vibrations that constantly vie for our attention. I'm pretty sure when the history books are written that 2007 is going to be a very important date in the annals of human history. Now, it'll probably rank right up there with, you know, 1440 or 1450. You know, that date, that was when Gutenberg and the printing press was invented, that was an invention that revolutionized the world. Do you know what happened in 2007? The iPhone was released. That was the date the iPhone was released. It was also the year that Facebook sort of came into its own as no longer a private university thing, but a public thing. Twitter came into its own. It was the official start of the digital age, and with all its goodness that we've enjoyed, my, it's messed us up too, hasn't it? We live in what people call now the attention economy, where your attention is what people want, and they will spend great amounts of money to get your attention. So app developers, corporations, highly resourced corporations spend, oh, billions of dollars designing apps which are specifically designed to get and keep your attention, to distract you. And so what happens is we live in what one writer, Linda Stone, calls uh, a perpetual, an age of continual 
partial attention. So we give partial attention all the time, never fully giving ourselves to one thing. And its effect is fairly profound. There was one writer, Andrew Sullivan, who is uh, a writer in magazines like New Yorker, Atlantic, and uh, he had been doing just profound amounts of blogging, social media work. He sort of came to the end of himself. He wrote an article called, I Used to Be a Human Being. And he describes in that article this relentless life he lived on time, feeding the blog he had all the time, and how he was becoming less human in the process. And so finally, he admitted himself into a digital detox center. And at the very end of the article, he writes this, this quote, There are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And the threat, he writes, the threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure. The threat to our souls. At this rate, he says, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. So it's not that we lose our souls, it's, it's we forget we even have one. So since we're in a series on the practices of Jesus, which we are, if you're new here, we are working through these practices of Jesus Christ, how we might live out this resurrection life of Jesus, how we might experience it in our everyday lives. So is there a practice from the life of Jesus that can help us thrive in the midst of all of this digital distraction and confusion of, of the noise of modern society? So glad you asked, because yes, there is just a practice. It is the practice of silence and solitude. What are these practices? Today I'm mostly going to focus in on silence because really the silence and solitude are a package deal. Um, solitude seems to be baked into silence. Uh, to, to be silent, you almost need to get away from other people, to be by yourself. Uh, and so silence, the practice of silence, is simply the practice of carving out intentional time to listen to God in quiet where you shut down the TV, you put away your phone, you refrain from talking, and you attend to God. Now, again, we live in such a noisy, distracted world where listening for the voice of God, it, it's almost becoming a lost skill. This, this practice of silence was a practice that Christians throughout millennia would regularly, weekly practice. But it seems to be a missing practice in our very noisy world, but it is, it's a skill that sits at the heart of being a follower of Jesus, the capacity to listen to God. And it's something we see Jesus doing all the time. As you, as you look at the life of Jesus, as you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus, you see that he would regularly just withdraw from, counts, uh, from crowds, sometimes quite abruptly, right? He would withdraw from the busyness, from the rhythms of regular life, and he would go to, to a solitary place, to a quiet place to pray. For instance, in Mark 1, verse 35, we read that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Just needed to get away from it all, to be quiet. Or Luke 5, 15 to 16, crowds are gathering around Jesus. Luke 5, verse 15 says, news about Jesus spread, and so crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. 
Jesus withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. So Jesus would often go to what the Bible calls these lonely places, this quiet place, this place to just simply be by himself with his Father. Now, why would he do this? Because this was for his replenishment. The desert places, the lonely places were places and times where Jesus was strengthened in silence, where he could hear his Father's voice. Jesus would come then to a place of strength. He would be filled up in those lonely, quiet places, out of which he could then minister and serve. And so over and over again, you see Jesus coming back to this practice of withdrawing into silence and solitude in order to be filled up. And the dynamic is really important for us to note. This practice of silence, it is not to be emptied, as some others will practice silence. The, the aim of silence is not this emptying of yourself and joining some void, some nothingness. It, it, is, it is to certainly quiet the noises of life, but if that's the only issue, just get some noise-canceling headphones, right? And you got the deal covered. The aim of silence is to listen. It is to become fully awake and alive and present to the dynamic and living presence of God. So silence is less the absence of something and more about filling ourselves with the presence, with the voice of God, opening yourself, becoming present and attentive to the God who is always there with his love, waiting for you and me to see, to take note, to hear. And we mostly think about God. As we think about God, we think, you know, God being who God is, he should be able to grab our attention, right? I mean, come on, he's God after all. Um, so shouldn't God reveal himself to us in a loud voice to grab our attention? I think sometimes we wish God could be a little more obvious, but we've misunderstood God. This is not God's way. Listen to the story that we read this morning from Elijah, right? The Hebrew prophet Elijah, he was, he was a man set on God. He had been going and going and going, trying to bring Israel, God's people, back to God. He sort of comes at the end of himself, and, and uh, God says, Elijah, go up to the mountain. I'll meet you there. And so he flees into the mountain, and once in the mountains, he finds a cave. And he's thinking, okay, maybe God's going to speak to me here in this cave. And God would, but not in the way Elijah expected. Elijah waits, and all of a sudden this great storm billows up around the mountain where he is in the cave, and this hurricane winds are just shaking the mountains to its depths, groaning under these hurricane howling winds. But God wasn't in the wind. And then came an earthquake when the rocks started falling and the stone walls of his cave are just rumbling and the foundations of the earth seem to be giving out. But this too, this, this is not God. God was not in the earthquake. And then came this forest fire. Elijah can just see the forest of this mountain burning up in front of him, engulfing him, watching this fire race up the mountain surrounding his cave, smoke and ash. But this too isn't God. And then in the night, after the fire, after the earthquake, after the storm, there came this small, still voice, this fragile, eternal silence, this quiet whisper. And 
God was in the whisper. And it's interesting, there is all sorts of discussion about the translation of that word, still small voice. A lot of scholars believe it doesn't even uh, speak about a sound that you can hear with your ears. And so many would translate this, that God was in the sound of silence itself. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earth in the earthquake, not in the fire, but he was in the silence. So for a few minutes, we're going to experience silence. I'm going to turn your attention to the screens, which will continue to lead you through this time of silence.
almost don't want to break the lovely silence. And Jonas did really good. <laughs> Listen. The aim and the practice of silence is to grow a listening life. Without a listening heart, we will not have practiced silence. The practice of silence is to grow our capacity, our ability to listen and to hear and attend to the voice of God. It's interesting how many times the, the verb, the command listen, occurs throughout Scripture, over 1,500 times. Because it is God's voice, His voice that brings life to us, right? It was the voice of God that spoke creation into being. It's the voice of God that speaks into our lives, salvation and healing and joy. It's what we're meant to know. And so we listen to live in communion with God. When we're noisy and when we're busy, it's very difficult to, we're almost incapable of intimacy. And so Psalm 46 says to us, be still and know that I am God. And that word know is a pretty packed Hebrew word. It has connotations of sexual intimacy. It's speaking of the intimacy of a husband and of a wife, of two people very vulnerable, very open to each other. It says the, that the best knowledge we have is not information, but it's communion. So be still. Quiet yourself. And open yourself to God. You know, for us to know communion with God, we just need to find quiet and stillness. If you have any experience with silence, you know that that's difficult. And part of the, the practice of silence is to, to quiet all the internal static and noise that goes on inside of us. There's a lot going on outside of us, but sometimes I think there's even more going on inside of us. In each of our hearts, it almost is like there's this incessant soundtrack going on. A soundtrack of judgment, of comparison, ridicule, fear, shame, these voices that can be very loud. I went once on a silent retreat. It wasn't for one day, it was for eight days. When I first went there, I thought, oh, I am crazy. What have I just got myself into? But as it was actually one of the most life-giving, spiritually transformative experiences of my life. But it wasn't easy. See, the trouble when you turn down the volume on your own voice is that the volume on everything else seems to get really cranked up. And I can remember being in my room, there was probably 40 other people on the silent retreat and we had different rooms and there was a woman upstairs because I knew men are on one floor, women are on the next. So there's this woman upstairs who was just making tons of noise and it was driving me nuts. And it was helped out by a squeaky floor, and it sounded like she was just doing laps and calisthenics in her room. And I found myself thinking mostly really bad thoughts about her. Silence reveals this sort of ugly, judgmental underbelly. And here I am, you know, on this silent retreat, trying to listen to the voice of God, thinking these unholy thoughts about pacing lady upstairs. And then I remember some other guy on the retreat. Um, we would eat meals in silence, and I don't know where I interacted with this guy, but I, I found myself thinking, I don't like this guy. And I'm thinking, why? Like, we haven't even talked, right? What could he have done? And what's wrong was not him, but me. And so the practice of silence 
It uncovers that soundtrack that goes on inside of us. Most of us are not even aware of it. It's like background noise because we become so familiar with it. And so when we're silent for a bit, many people find it very difficult for the first time and they get a little freaked out by this. You know, when we stop and get quiet, because all sorts of junk gets surfaced. I, I, I think fro- silence is like frost heave. You know what frost heave does? Like in winter, the ground contracts. And what it does is it pushes up stones and rubble to the surface that you then got to clear out. Silence is like the frost heave of the soul. And so it just surfaces all this subterranean rubble in our lives that when it comes, we need to confess and clear out. But this is part of the healing of this practice, right? So much noise and distraction, so many voices that really seek to define us, seek to tell us who we are and what we're to do. But the only voice we desperately need is to hear the voice of love, the voice of God, which really makes silence an invitation to experience the gospel. Because this is where we see how silence is so connected to the gospel, how it's really an embodied way of experiencing the gospel. Because in the practice of silence, we do nothing, right? All we do is come to God, open ourselves to God's presence, to his voice of love. Think of it, we do nothing. We are not productive. We are useless, right? We don't perform for God. We don't impress God. We don't, you know, show him mighty acts of service. We don't persuade. We don't cajole God. We are just still before him. And this is so hard for us because we are trained in our world to make our way through this world by what we say, by what we do. We're taught to define ourselves, to construct the sense of self by our actions or activities, by our words, by the positions we hold. And all this gives us a sense of ourself, a sense of who we are. But to be silent, quiet, still, without action, without words that you know, we might use to defend ourselves or justify ourselves. That feels so vulnerable. You feel naked before God. I'm convinced all our words and our busyness and our noise are are sort of like the fig leaves we use to cover up God and hide our nakedness. And so silence and solitude, they're, they're difficult because we've bought into this lie that we must manufacture our identities, that we create our own significance. But in silence, we're called simply to be in the presence of God and his love, to enjoy that. And there's nothing we do to earn that, to win that. This is an experience of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us there's nothing we can do to make God love us more or make God love us less. The gospel tells us that on the cross, in the death of Jesus, he accomplished for us our salvation and healing. And the acceptance of God, the forgiveness of God, the salvation, the new identity we get that we are God's cherished children that comes freely to us. We don't offer anything. We just come empty-handed to receive. This is part of the beauty of this gift of silence. So quiet yourself down to receive this gift, this practice of silence. Become attentive, alert to the love of God that has always been there. We've just been too busy, too noisy to notice it. 
And so with the psalm that we heard, we say, my soul alone waits in silence, for my hope is in him. Read that psalm again today, because it's beautiful how the psalmist, he finds his whole identity in God, his honor, his hope. He puts it in God, and so in silence, he waits to receive that identity. This practice, it's the gospel in a little nutshell. It's the invitation to know the love of God. Followers of Jesus, we've been doing it for centuries. And do you know how desperately our world needs this? The whole world is talking about how distracted we are. The Globe and Mail last week had a whole section about how to disconnect and find some places that can help you disconnect. What if, what if church could be the best place where people can disconnect and become quiet and still. You know, I'm convinced that one of the most important practices that we might take into our lives is this one. It is so countercultural in this age of distraction. But I bet many of you are thinking, yeah, you don't know me, Phil. I can't do this. Uh, you don't know how busy my life is. I'm an extrovert. You're an introvert. Therefore, I can't do this. I have a two-year-old, I can't do this. Um, my schedule is way too demanding. You can do this, you can. Start with what you can do, not with what you can't, okay? I'm not asking you to go on an eight-day silent retreat. Don't do it. Start with what you can do. Maybe just 10 minutes each day. Start there. Remember, this is about practicing too, right? It's not about performing God. It's not about bragging about how long I had this great time of silence before God. No, it's about learning the skills of a listening heart for God. So what can you do? Start with a time, a place in your schedule, in your daily schedule that works well for you. One that is as quiet and distraction-free as possible. Put away your phone. Put away any other distractions. Settle into a time, a place, a comfortable chair, and maybe begin simply by, by paying attention to your breathing. And then you can maybe, maybe repeat a simple phrase to quiet, to distract the thoughts. You know that, that beautiful phrase from Samuel, uh, where Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Just repeat that a couple of times to convince your own heart, I'm listening. And then be still and, and enjoy communion with God. Welcome his love, his peace. It's joy. For me, the, the first thing I do in the morning, most mornings, before everyone is up in my family, is try to get up a little early, brew a cup of coffee, and for the time it takes me to drink that cup of coffee, I'm just quiet. Just sitting, enjoying the cup of coffee, and enjoying silence. It's my morning cup of coffee with the Trinity. Others of you, for instance, you might need to go for a walk. Maybe that's a beautiful place for you to enjoy quiet and silence. Maybe you, you can hardly think, I cannot sit still. You know, that's beyond your comprehension. Maybe you need a knit. I have a sister-in-law who knits like crazy. Her hands are busy, but her heart is still. So experience, enjoy the quiet, and then just simply close with a prayer of gratitude for God's presence. Remember, it's not about success or failure. All you can do is show up and be patient with yourself because for some of us, it's going to take time. Resist the urge to tell yourself, you know, I can't do this or this is bad for me or this just isn't me. Don't judge yourself, especially if you're, you know, an extroverted overachiever type. Practice quiet, 
the practice of silence. I think the best takeaway you'll get from that practice, perhaps the sweetest, is the experienced knowledge that Christ lives in you and that you'll hear his voice of love. What could be better than that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for wisdom that comes to us. Thank you for these practices of Jesus by which we can experience and know your resurrection life. God, we pray that you would teach and train us in this way of Jesus. This one particularly, God, it's a tough one. We confess because we're not good at this. Our whole culture is is so filled with distraction and noise, with flurry and worry. God, would you help us live out periods of silence so that we cultivate a listening life. More than anything we know, God, this is what we need to hear your word. So quiet our hearts and speak to our souls. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.